0: Hi, Nick Vince here. This week on The Chattering Hour, I'm joined by PJ Souls. We talk about working on Stephen King's Carrie, John Carpenter's Halloween, and Rob Zombie's The Devil's Rejects. We also talk about working with Goldie Horn, Bill Murray, and the Ramones. Up next on The Chattering Hour, PJ Souls. <music> And we're back with my special guest, PJ Souls. PJ had a globe-trotting childhood and then moved to study in New York, became a model and an actress, and eventually moved to Los Angeles, where soon after she landed a role in Carrie. She worked with John Carpenter in Halloween and went on to do comedies such as Goldie Horn's Private Benjamin and worked with Bill Murray and John Candy in Stripes. And she was just amazing in Rock and Roll High School with the Ramones. Recently, she's appeared in horror movies Candy Corn and Rob Zombie's The Devil's Rejects. PJ, thank you very much indeed for joining me today.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> no, or again. I guess I say totally. <laughs> say again. I guess I should really say totally. My parents. Totally.
0: <laughs> Which we'll come to later on. But. <laughs> but I did want to go back to the kind of the very beginning, because you had a kind of unusual childhood, I think. Having been born in Germany, you kind of traveled a lot. So what was your childhood like?
1: It was awesome. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world, Uh Although I am attracted to, to, to guys, uh, my husbands and uh, my boyfriends have all been uh, Americans who have grown up in one city. So <laughs> I think that is something. But in any event, my father was from Holland, Rotterdam, Holland, and my mother was from New Jersey. And uh, her first husband uh, got killed the last day of World War II. And as a, a you know, young 20 uh, widow, widow. Uh, she decided to journey across and be part of the Army Reconstruction of Germany. My dad, was from Holland, uh, had been captured and sent to a, a work camp in Germany. And uh, the gates were opened by General Patton, so he was forever indebted to Americans. He met my mother, and they got married, and uh, and I was born in Frankfurt, Germany. <laughs> so it's a strange journey how I got here and how my two parents met, but... So then my mom was working, like I said, for the U.S. Army, and then she worked for uh, an insurance company that was starting to open branch offices. So we and my dad got a job uh, starting really in what they always say, the mailroom, but worked his way up quickly with his uh, six languages. Uh, and uh, he opened up a branch office in Casablanca in Morocco. So we moved there and then we moved to Maracaibo, Venezuela. And then we spent a, a, a couple of years in New Jersey while he worked in New York City, and then we moved to uh, Brussels, Belgium, where I went to high school. So I learned French and Spanish. I know Spanish better, but preferred language is English. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my journey. And every country was exotic and, a, and a enlightening and amazing. And really the thing I I most took away from my childhood is how fortunate and lucky I was because uh, while we were a very middle class family and my mother always got a job um, because she liked to work and she was a very, very good secretary for uh, any of the army that was stationed there, she was always the top guy's secretary and just love that. And that allowed us entrance into the PX and commissary, whatever base was nearby in that country. And, you know, very pro-American. And uh, but I did take away that, you know, most most of those countries, Morocco, um, certainly Venezuela, such poverty. And as a as a child, it really affected me. And um, you know, I just have always cared and uh, you know, considered that the world. Eh, has a lot of needs I guess you know so I've just always been very grateful
0: right so what um when did you kind of settle down because you went to uh college in uh Briarcliff White Plains yes
1: right that's because my parents then moved from Brussels to Istanbul Turkey and uh, they wanted me to go to Roberts College there it's an American college I wanted to go to the Sorbonne and my dad said no way So if I wanted to go to the United States, I had to go to an all-girls college. And I had an aunt nearby, uh, so they they said I could go to Briarcliff. But, of course, my roommate was from New York City. And that summer, instead of going to spend it with my parents in Istanbul, I stayed with Lorraine at her mother's apartment in NYC Manhattan and happened by the actor's studio. And there was an ad outside that said uh, – will trade, you know, you can audit classes if you run the spotlight on the weekend production. So I was very excited about that. I applied and, and did I had climb up on a catwalk. It was the Seagull with Joanna Miles and Scott Glenn. And I was responsible, having no prior experience of being up there and running the spotlight on them. And in, in exchange, I was able to audit classes. And I had throughout my childhood and, and starting in Venezuela in sixth grade, I was, you know, in a production of, of Hansel and Gretel. I played the witch and uh, I got the nighttime performance, beat out the eighth grader and uh, always had been in plays, but never thought I wanted to be an actress. It started in the back of my mind, never grew up watching TV or movies. My first movie was Ben-Hur in Venezuela, again, at the age of 12. Big movie theater. I was crying. I wouldn't leave my seat. My father said... Pamela, that's my name Pamela they're just actors right now they're somewhere enjoying a coke <laughs> well, so, but you see you've
0: reminded me of two things a operating a spotlight, having the little pin prick taking the iris right down to a little pin prick so you know where the light is going to fall, so when you open the iris you can hit. <laughs> The person, which is what I learned when I was once put on a spotlight for some reason, exactly the same conversation with my parents when I watched um, Fiddler on the Roof. I'm a Tefka, you know, 12 14 years old, floods of tears. My mother leaning across (laughs) and saying, "It's not real, Nick. It's not. It is.
1: It is. We are kindred spirits." But I think, too, it's so funny that, I mean, Ben-Hur, it's such a, you know, dramatic and action-packed movie. And for that Mm -hmm. to have been the first film on the big screen, and and probably anywhere I didn't, you know, except when we would come back to New York every four years to get all our vaccinations and shots Mm -hmm. for the next country... I would be in front of the TV at 3 a.m. while everyone was sleeping, you know, just because I wanted to watch Shirley Temple. And we never had TV. We didn't have TV in Morocco. We didn't have TV. We had TV in Venezuela from six to eight and the same in, in Brussels at, at night, you know, it was, but it, it wasn't, we never as kids, you know, I have two, I had two brothers, um, never watched TV. It wasn't a thing, you know, so. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah no, it just remember cause in the uk back in the 1960s television came on at five o'clock in the afternoon
1: exactly uh,
0: the rest of the day you had to read books or play with your brothers you know, or
1: I know. get outside I new york state you know he's trying to tell me that he watched you know lassie and oh hogan's heroes every night he's got to put that on i'm like you know what i can't stand the music for most of these shows the music drives me crazy, but he said, that, you know, I guess it was common for the parents to say, you know, go watch TV or go outside and play. <laughs> so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Now, Well, it sounds like a fun childhood. So you've trained as an actor graduated. Do you remember what your first professional job was?
1: Well, from there uh, actually I met uh, Joshua white who ran the Joshua light show at the Fillmore East. And I met him while I was running the spotlight and, you know, it was the summer. So I would wear these little short dresses. It was, you know, 1969. <laughs> and I came down uh, after the sh- after one of the shows and he introduced himself and he said, you know, I have a recommendation. You really shouldn't wear a, a dress. And I go, no. And why not? He said, well, just look up. <laughs> he said, but it was a nice view. <laughs> would you like to go out to dinner? <laughs> so anyway, so then I was transferring from um, Briarcliff to Georgetown University because I was very interested in learning Russian, and I had already known, uh, learned French, and I was taking French literature as a minor, and it was very confusing, but in any event, I transferred, me and another uh, girl were the first two females ever to be accepted into the Georgetown uh, University's uh, School of Languages and Linguistics, which was really great, but I I sadly only went down there for two weeks and Joshua kept saying, look, you want to be an actress? You shouldn't go to Georgetown. <laughs> so anyway, I didn't tell my parents until they returned that next spring <laughs> that I hadn't gone down. So they had paid the bill. I did pay my dad back, but <laughs> they were very upset until they saw my first commercial, which was what Joshua introduced me to his sister, she was an actress, Deborah White, and she had an agent, Lester Lewis. And he said, you know, you should just get working right away. So uh, he brought me over there. Beautiful, a very nice uh, agency. This was a whole new world to me. First of all, even Manhattan was. But although I had been there when I was a child, you know, getting my shots. But uh, and the first week I went out and I got the first commercial I ever went up for, which was Crisco or- Oil. i made my first pie and uh i i did about 6 commercials that summer and it, it was just crazy to be earning money and to be doing something that i actually found out that wow i really like this so commercials first so then i moved to new york and uh and uh, got on a soap opera love is a many splendid thing i did that for a year and then i did i knew a lot of people uh, that do plays and i know it's in in the British blood there, if you're making a movie at nighttime or on the weekend, come see my play. That's all my, my boyfriend and I always joke about that. But I just could, I, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I can't couldn't stay up late. And I would hang out with everybody. And I would, I just, oh, it just wasn't in me. I just, it wasn't my scene, you know. But so people said, well, you should, you know, after about five years, I decided uh, to move to LA because everyone said you need to go to LA. If you want to do movies, if that's, you know, we've done commercials. I did a few little small independent films and I did uh, the soap opera. So I think I, you know, I was ready to try a movie. <laughs> so I moved to LA in 1975 and I've been here ever since.
0: And of course you, you auditioned for Brenda Palmer, but also for Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. for Star Wars at the same time cuz no, this was-, no,
1: was George Lucas, yeah.
0: George Lucas, sorry, yes. George Lucas.
1: Right. But- well, yes, that was I so I moved to, I actually after Joshua I did get married to Stephen Souls and that's where I got the Souls name. He's a musician. Right. And he was in the tidbits. He went on to be in the Alpha band. He was on the road with the the Bob Dylan review. He was a really a fantastic uh he didn't want to move to LA, but I did, so we didn't get divorced till a year later when I moved to LA, and he realized, "Okay, I'll move to LA." But by that time, I had, you know, been interested in other things. But I do like his last name, and I kept it because PJ Souls. It sounded good, and I already had a number of credits, so I'm right. like, "I'm keeping your name." <laughs> but in any event, I so I arrived in uh, I think it was September, early September, seventy-five. One suitcase, took a cab. Take me to a hotel near my, I only had a modeling agency because, oh yeah, I did a lot of modeling in New York too. So modeling commercials and soap up. So I had Stuart Models and and they hooked me up with Nina Blanchard and that company, she was uh, located on Highland Avenue. So I said, I need a hotel by Highland Avenue. It's very strange. You couldn't do that today. It would be very weird, but so the magic hotel and it's still there. One block I could walk because I didn't have a car. And I walked over there and she told me a week later there was going to be this massive audition for all the young kids in town if I wanted to go. It's for a movie. Uh, It's two directors. I didn't know either of them. And at the time, they really weren't well known. So I get there. There's really it it was an hour wait. No big deal. Lots, Lots of us sitting down in the hallway waiting. I mean, I mean, really, I can't say hundreds, but certainly you know probably 50 of us sitting in the hallway waiting to be called in and I get in and George Lucas is on one side behind a desk and Brian De Palma on the other and uh they look, look at each other and I was wearing my red baseball hat which ended up in Carrie and I was wearing overalls I just thought I don't want to compete with the pretty girls I want to look more kind of like a tomboy and you know again it's 1975 so you dress however and uh And Brian looks at George and says, I'll put her on my list. And he goes, Fine. And I I said, Okay. And then I turned to go, and Brian says, Next audition, wear that hat. So, three subsequent auditions later, you know, with Brian and all of the people that actually ended up in Carrie, he had a very keen eye because there were probably 15, 10 to 12, 15 of us. And we met for three subsequent auditions at his apartment on Fountain. And we all read through the script, playing various characters throughout. And 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 uh, each time he said, uh, "Wear the hat." So I brought it the first day of filming, thinking I better bring this hat. <laughs> and it ended up being just a great, you know, bit.
0: <laughs> it, yeah, well, it is because it, you know, it's it's bright red, and it your eye just constantly goes to you. It's it's it, it's really nice. So what did you think of the script of Carrie when you're, you said you're workshopping it, obviously. What did you, had you read the book at that stage?
1: Uh, No, wasn't aware of the book. And again, you know, back in in those days, I don't think Stephen King was quite that, although I guess they did. He was just coming on, I think. Well, it was
0: his first first filmed book,
1: yeah. Well, I didn't read it because uh, I didn't really even know about it, so... Shame on me, but no, Brian didn't say read the book, but in any event, my character Norma was not in the book and was as really only had the first line in the script when we do the volleyball scene and I whack her over her head when she loses the game and I say thanks a lot Carrie and I happen to have those pins in my hat and the pins got stuck in her hair. And I yanked them out as the bad girl I was supposed to be and felt terrible afterwards. And Sissy was like, no, it'll work great because you're supposed to be really mean. And that was awesome. And then in the dailies, everyone laughed. And that was really, I was on for one week and Brian put me on for the rest of the show had no other lines. Everything else was ad lib. And he said, you're going to be Chris Harginson, That's Nancy Allen's best friend. So every time I can throw you in with her, you do her bidding, you're her best friend and, you know, and always wear your hat. <laughs> so he was the one instrumental for the hat. So, but yes, I, lo- I I thought the script was great. My first movie, you know, all the people that were in it were fantastic. I did my screen test with John Travolta because I did do the screen test for, for Nancy Allen's part right. because it was no Norma. But obviously she was sexier and he ended up marrying her. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody was great. William Cat, Amy Irving, Betty Buckley, who I drove to the set every day because, you know, she was from New York and she stayed at the Chateau Marmont. And by that time, my parents had come to visit me. And since I was achieving a modicum amount of success, being that I was on my own and I had made some money, um, you know, my dad had promised that if we graduate college, We could. he would buy us a car, me and my brother. So I didn't graduate, but I needed a car. And my mother sat in the car while he bought me a a Ford Courier pickup truck. It was just a very small truck, but I just loved it. I was a little campy and kooky. And she said, why can't you get a cute little sports car or something? Why are you driving a truck? I'm sitting in the car. So it was funny, but...
0: (laughs) it's it's so good. it's so important isn't it to have supportive pa- parents when you're starting oh, yeah. out in the business
1: absolutely
0: yeah. yeah what was the most challenging and part
1: the reason why I'm the only one in the shower scene that has a towel up everybody else is like "Woo, woo but I'm like my parents are going to see this of course cut to Halloween but that was just a quickie <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I was was going to ask you, what was the most challenging part of filming uh, Carrie? Because you seem to be doing, I was just thinking, particularly when you're in detention, having to do all those squats and so on. Yes, but
1: Norma Norma didn't. Every time the camera would pass her by, then she stopped. (laughs) And I wore my own red uh, shorts because I wanted to be a little bit of a rebel, but and Brian would just always laugh you know i came to set that day and everyone's in their little black school uniforms for the gym scene and i'm wearing shiny satin red shorts and he just went oh he <laughs> said okay that's norma <laughs> but everybody was competing to be prettier look so pre- and so i needed to be the tomboy a little bit of a rebel even though i was you know i was the follower of chris <laughs>
0: right 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 <laughs> right ballots and everything else. <laughs> so I mean, did that. Obviously, this is a great success. I, I, actually, I have to, there was one question looking through you, yeah. um, looking through Halloween and Carrie and high school, uh, rock and roll high school, which we'll talk about later on. You are the sort of teenager who makes every parent go, oh, my God, what were you... <laughs> Of the market and that really, really beautiful performances, but what were you like as a teenager? I mean, where did that?
1: Well, that's where you. That's why the um, the beginning of my uh, life story is so important because throughout every country, you know, I went to <clears throat> if there was an international school or an American school. I think in Morocco, I was only five, six, and seven. I actually went to a, a school at the Nuissora Air Base. So I was went right. to school in the Air Force hangar. It was awesome. I mean, just you know, and the beaches there and the food, sitting on pillows and eating with your fingers. I mean, that's I had fig trees in my garden, you know, it just was delightful. But right. then well, we had the American school that was called the Escuela Bellista, and half of the afternoon was all taught in Spanish. And I know more about Venezuelan social studies, social history. Venezuelan history is called Venezuelan social studies than American history. But um, there were always the uh, American kids. So mm-hmm. in Venezuela, however, they did have their own uh, uh army, you know, the arm the base that they lived on with the fence around it. they went to that school. But we had a few stragglers of parents that wanted their kids to get to learn Spanish.
0: Right. Like,
1: in, so in Venezuela, I went to the international school. I mean, in Brussels, I went to the international school of Brussels, and we had the called embassy brats and army brats. So, and they would only be in a country for maybe, you know, two years, and had never lived anywhere else, or some of them had. But Um, just to be envied with their wardrobe you know we had Sears Roebuck was the catalog that you ordered your Christmas presents from and and hoped you know you'd have so and I always looked at them and they just had such joy and they were so free-spirited and you know and I was extremely studious I was very responsible my brother was born um, and uh, my mother got uh, pregnant in, in Morocco after being told that nobody, you know, if you've been told by your doctor after me, she, they said to her, you know, you're, don't worry, you know, it's over, you've got two kids, a son and a daughter, it's fine. She got pregnant, so I was seven when my my son my my um, my son my brother was born. So I was responsible for him and bear, and took it very seriously. Had a lot of errands since both my parents works Worked. I had to come home and uh, you know prepare, set the table, prepare the meal, have it ready. So very responsible um, um, child and uh, teenager. And up until you know I was up till 2 a.m. doing my homework because in those days you wrote things longhand and if I made one mistake on one page I would write the whole page over. So very different than all the uh, teenagers I portrayed and I think it was just my fantasy and my outlet for oh my gosh I have I get a chance to play an American teenager and I'm going for it because this is how I imagined them to be just full of joy and rebellious and fun and I was the opposite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Victor. That that is fascinating. That is absolutely fascinating.
1: But see, it's how upbringing can contribute to mm. what you bring to your performances. Because you know, especially like Lyndon, Halloween. Oh my gosh! And in Brussels, I had a best friend, Cindy Clark, and she was from Peoria, Illinois, and had never you know, been outside the country. And she was such a bad girl. She smoked. She was going out with a a, a guy from Brussels. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she would invite me to spend the night at her house. And then she'd say, if my mom knocks on the door, say we're having fun and lock, lock the door. And she would go out the window and have a date with her Belgian boyfriend. He pick her up on the motorcycle down the street. And I, every time her mother would come, I go, we're fine. We're having fun. Thank you, Mrs. Clark. <laughs> do you want anything? No, we're good. <laughs> so I, I was like, wow, this is an American teenager. That's what they do.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Wow. <That> was- <laughs> so, Clark was probably my role. Model. <laughs> right. Wrong. Right.
0: Um, and what was John Carpenter like to work with?
1: Oh, he, you know, now everybody knows about him, but then it was the beginning. So he and Deborah Hill were just a wonderful couple. Uh, the thing that I remember the most that was so impressive was that they were very soft spoken and very gentle. And very caring, and very much interested in a collaborative effort. They never said "our film," "my film." They would say "our film," and they would be totally, op- totally open to any kind of improvisation, anything you wanted to bring. And the set, even though it was twenty-one day shooting schedule, very rushed, even though there was a calm to it. One or two, possibly three takes. And in those days, you didn't have the little thing on the side showing you what you're getting. You had to wait till daily. And there could be an oopsie. There could be a focus pull that didn't go right. There could be a lighting issue, but we weren't going to shoot it again. So you better get it right. And it better not be the dialogue or the actor. And that's what I thought. So uh, very conscientious and concerned with, you know, doing my best right out the gate first take, you know, which was exciting because we did do a little bit of rehearsal but not really there wasn't the time and we had to quickly move from location to location but John Carpenter just had a sensitivity about him that just uh it made the whole set uh feel very special like a a a real collaborative effort and So after Carrie, which was a studio picture, and it was Brian De Palma who came from New York and that was his movie. And even though you could improvise and obviously my character, you know, that wasn't even in the script, but there was a sense that he was the king of the set. Whereas John Carpenter was like, we are all making this movie. And uh, just, I remember the gentleness of the filming and I've uh, really never experienced it again.
0: Right, because, of course, you work with Jamie uh, Lee Curtis and Nancy Kyes, who I've also... Right.
1: Yes, you've interviewed Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Jamie, that was her first movie. She was 19. She was very excited but very nervous. She said she was really more like Linda than Laurie. We should switch parts. I go, no way. (laughs) You're boring. You've got the boring role. (laughs) spark (laughs) uh, she was delightful it's funny the first day of filming we just all in fact it was when when we met at casting and and they wanted to take some pictures once we were cast and on the stairway there's a picture of the three of us and rob zombie took that same picture with his his three girls just to but that was that was at the casting offices and it's just like we had gone to high school. We were all different ages. Jamie's 19. Nancy and I were pretty much the same age here. Nancy already had a two year old. So she was married to Tommy Lee Wallace at the time. I thought that was really cool. You know, that they could work together. They had all Nancy and Tommy had gone to USC. So I had Nick Castle with John Carpenter. Um, I just, it was just delightful. So, and then we did, everybody asked and again, again, because you know, you're from the UK, Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance he wasn't really aware of him again because of probably you know my lack of movies in childhood. But um, he was very quiet. And and when I asked John Carpenter, "Does he like us, or what is his problem?" You know, he doesn't want to talk to us. And and uh, he said, "You know what? He just wants to be in character the whole time. That's that's how he does it." So you know the he's observing you and he would sit at lunch and eat and give us a little smile now and again, but we were terrified to talk to him because, you know, we didn't want to interrupt his method or whatever he was doing. So, but a lovely man.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. No, wonderful. I've had some lo- lovely stories about uh, Donald Pleasant, who had just such a great presence on screen.
1: Yes, the, absolutely. Yeah.
0: You know, true British character actor.
1: Uh, so oh, yeah. You d- And then when we watched the casting crew screening, I mean, one thing was making the movie and how delightful everybody was, but then we watched it and, you know, from the script, you think, oh, good. You know, I just want to do my best. I want to get another part. This will be great. This will springboard me to opening the doors for casting agents. I've been in a movie. And like I said, at that time, John Carpenter's name didn't mean anything. And if you're in a heart, I mean, to the people in the know, yes, but not in the studios or if you're trying to get on mm-hmm. airwolf any of the you know shows that were on at the time um but the fact that you had experience under your belt meant something but so then i we go and i see the movie and i'm blown away but 50 percent i'm blown away because of the music and he never mentioned oh i'm gonna do the music and then i hear the music and i'm like what is this guy like just 100 percent genius or what so we're all fans of the movie but it took a while it was a slow a slow rise let's say and again right. because horror movies considered oh that's kind of lowbrow you know but i don't know i think of course now it's a everybody hails it as a, a masterpiece so i'm very proud to uh have been in it
0: yeah yeah and, and you know and many sequels so you know and different incarnations <laughs> because oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go back and do um uh, some extra scene a few years later when they put halloween on tv is that right
1: right they added another scene uh, i think it was a year later and uh, right. that was fun i think it was just a day of shooting i go over to laurie's house i borrow a blouse or something but and that was fun it was sort of like a little reunion and i guess you know for the tv version when well, we did film it i remember the see anything you like scene i had to okay just don't drop the don't drop the sheet too too far down and so that was uh for the tv but because right. they had cut out i guess maybe bad language or other scenes i forget <sighs> what we had to add add some more because as it was it was a pretty short film <laughs> <laughs> but that was just fun
0: right 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 No, now you you talked about working in horror and so on. But I mean, one of the other things, um, I'd not actually seen it before and that was Rock and Roll High School with the Ramones.
1: What was that
0: like? Were you a fan of the Ramones before you made this film?
1: No. (laughs) Are you kidding? No. (laughs) No, but again, there's there's the American teenage dream role And uh, I had always, you know, my first husband, Stephen, was into music. Uh, From him, I learned, uh, obviously, a lot about American music. Obviously, in Brussels, you know, I graduated high school in 1968, so I knew about the Beatles, loved the Beatles, Um, you know, never went to a concert or anything except when I got together with Joshua, and he, like I said, did that pulsating light show at the Fillmore East, and he, you know, I would stay maybe until 10 o'clock and I'd go, I got to go to sleep. <laughs> of course, Jimi Hendrix came on at midnight, but I wasn't there. <laughs> but by the time I got to L.A., oh, we're talking the Eagles, Jackson Brown, you know, uh, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young. These are people that that was my music. So, so Alan Arkish gives me a cassette of the Ramones and said, You're their number one fan and you're going to sing a song. So, you know, get to know their music. And I put it in at the time I was married at that point to Dennis Quaid. And uh, he also was a musician and always played the guitar. And, but again, we like country music, not country, but, you know, I guess California music. Right. right. <laughs> oh, California. Uh, and I just remember. It, it didn't make any sense to me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to be their number one fan. What is this? Ah! <laughs> and then the first day of shooting was when Joey, if you've seen the movie, sings to me in my bedroom. I have the whole fantasy sequence. These are their moans. How do you do? OK, now we're We'll proceed to shoot this with this scene of you having your little fan dream sequence. So, but Johnny was great. And man, now I love the Ramones. And of course it took me a couple of years, but, and, uh, and then seeing the movie. And I liken that movie to their their hard days night. It's sort of the Ramones hard days night. I mean, it's just a great film. It puts you in a good mood. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I had not made the connection, but I, I clearly see when, because it, it's kind yeah. of a concert movie in part, really. Concert
1: movie, it lets you know a little bit more about who they are, you know, at least in movie terms. And then they do have that footage, which took three days to film. And it was very difficult because we advertised for real fans. And when you get real fans and they expect to see a concert, they don't want, The film, you know, the filming to stop every five minutes to get, you know, the actors up to the front of the stage or to to shoot a different angle. And so that was was strange. But I bought all my own wardrobe because the wardrobe budget was $100. And I thought, okay, that will buy me some tights. And I have a story about Rod Stewart because the jacket in the opening scene, it's got musical notes on it. And it was at Fred Siegel and it cost $300 back then. Silk jacket, pink lining, beautiful. So uh, I auditioned for it. I knew in my heart I was going to get it, but I went to Fred Siegel. I saw that jacket. I was like, I need to put this on hold because I'm up for a film. And if I get it, I am buying this. And so I get it. I go back and i asked them to bring it from behind the counter i'm trying it on no i I didn't try it on he handed to me and rod stewart's in the store because i don't know if you know fred siegel but very you know swanky expensive one-of-a-kind items and he and he was there and uh they hand it to me. He grabs it out of my hand. I'm buying this. I go, no, you're not. I had it on hold for three weeks, and it's mine. I need it for a movie. He goes, nope. And he puts it on, and he's parading around. And I said, it looks really great, but let me wear it for the movie, and then I'll give it to you. I promise. <laughs> of course, I didn't fulfill that promise, and he just kind of gave it back to me. He said, there you go. But I just thought that was so funny. And it's Rod Stewart approved. <laughs> I'm just thinking the Bloody Cheek. <laughs> exactly. No,
0: so, I mean, what are the other, um, you mean another If he knew
1: I was half Dutch, he might have, you know, asked me out, but
0: <laughs> no. Well, that would mean a very different life, Yeah. <laughs> You you made another couple of movies, um, another couple of comedies, uh, starting with um, Private Benjamin, mm. um, with Goldie Horn. which again I realized I'd watched more or less the whole film and not seen the last twenty minutes before I uh, prepared this. But what I mean, this right. is I don't think I don't think I'm in the last twenty minutes, so
1: no,
0: no, no problem. No, so that was fine but it was kind of interesting to see where they actually went with this character. But, but this is a very different role. This is a very up tight. I, I, it's that lovely moment where the coin is bounced on your bed.
1: Yeah, Eileen Brennan, my yes. hero.
0: <laughs> Extraordinary. I, it's a very, it's a kind of slightly strange film. And you look at it and you think, I'm not quite sure where you're going with this. All right. <clears throat> But wonderful, wonderful film, and you know, highly recommended.
1: Well, Goldie Hahn was a producer, and at the time I have a lot of Polaroids because she used to bring Kate Hudson. She was three months old at the time. So I have Polaroids of Kate as a little baby. We're all, you know, holding her, and she looks exactly like she does now. Now, Same face, so cute. Uh, But so Goldie was producer, new mom, star. It was, when I look back on it, because people say, what was it like working with Goldie? I said, well, she was delightful, but she, she really, it was only funny when she was working because she was in a serious mode. So it was no fooling around with her, with the girls that, you know, all the other girls, of course, we had a ball, Mary Kay Place, you know, Eileen Brennan, we had a ball, but we didn't have the the weight on her shoulders that Goldie did. and, And she was just adorable in it. But Um, I almost lost the part because I had blonde hair because she had a different director at first who had hired me. And then when she got the second director, she put the decree, no blonde hair. So I had to go back and uh, re-audition and I wore a black wig, hid my hair and got the part again. So I got the part twice. (laughs) And (laughs) but I love Private Wanda Winter. And again, it was a time uh, uh, during that period of time in uh, in Hollywood where you didn't really mix television with movies and you didn't mix if you're an independent filmmaker and you did those movies Halloween even though I had done Carrie uh, you didn't really get to do the the big studio pictures so my agent fought hard for the audition and because I did have film credits under my belt and I, you know, uh, ha- played quirky parts as well. I was in a lot of guest star roles on on different uh, television shows, which is where, you know, you can make some good money for the week as an actress, and it was very important, you know, and also keep your chops up and just keep working, working, working. Mm. So, you know, to audition for Private Benjamin was a big deal, and to get it was an even bigger deal. So. Um, it was very exciting, and I, I really enjoyed working on that. And I love the uniform. And in fact, I that they have a place called um, what was it called Hollywood Costume and all right. the yeah. It's all so my uniform, my boots were all there. And when it came time for stripes, I said, "I need another army uniform." And they said, "Well, we have your." Uniform from from uh, Private Benjamin, so they just changed the name tag and it still fit me, obviously, on a couple of years later. And my boots, so I wear the same uniform in both movies. <laughs> 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 These little details are weird. I love right. it. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: just, I love it. Now, obviously, this is a very different style of filming. I mean, working with Bill Murray, I'm, I understand that a lot of improvisation was involved
1: which I love. Obviously, I started in Carrie. I was able to, you know, learn that and uh, had never been on Saturday Night Live, but I had seen it. And obviously, you know, his reputation preceded him and I knew he was probably going to be hard to work, work with. But uh, so I made it my goal. He's not going to top me. He's not going to get me. I'm going to be on equal footing with him. So it was my goal to match him and to make sure that he didn't outwit me, which was hard to do, but uh, he's very moody. Uh, it was hard set to work on. We were in Fort Knox, Kentucky. It was a winter time. Um, Warren Oates was amazing. A beautiful soul. Uh, John Candy, Harold Ramis, where you would think that uh, that Bill Murray would just be, you know, Zinging the one-liners and making you laugh. No, he was pouting. Harold Ramis was making you laugh. John Candy was making you laugh. So John Larroquette—I mean, just amazing actors. But Bill, who was making the most money, was uh, the um, the unhappiest, and so it was—it was, was kind of sad. Well, we all tried to cheer him up, but you know, I think you know it, it, it was a deep-seated psychosis. Yes, <laughs> but. When the camera rolls, man, he's on. And that, I love the kitchen scene. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. We are supposed to be outside looking at stars. It was pouring rain. We went inside this house. And he walked into the kitchen and opened the refrigerator and took out a carrot. And I said, what are you going to do with that? And Ivan knows Bill Murray, knows how he operates. Bring the camera in. 20 minutes. That scene.
0: 20
1: minutes. It's, it's, <laughs> I think it's the way you're obviously. magic. In, yeah. <laughs> it's the way you're
0: being tickled. It is, it's, you know, and you just say what is he doing with that spatula? um it, yeah.
1: <laughs> Only I know. <laughs> but it was so And when I jump up, he turned the heat up. It was a middle griddle where you put pancakes. And he, so when I go, it's,
0: that wasn't acting.
1: <laughs> Ow. Ow. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, <laughs> movers on. I mean, you returned to doing um, horror with Rob Zombie in The Devil's Rejects. I know, you know. It's it's uh-huh. a, very, a really tightly, tightly done scene. What did you think? What again? You know, working with directors. What did, What was it like working with Rob Zombie?
1: Well, Rob probably reminds me, uh, the most like, um, John Carpenter, very soft-spoken, very gentle. Uh, I did do a movie called candy corn and Josh hasty. It reminds me very much of the two of them. Again, uh, these men that have a very gentle, soft-spoken way, but they're powerhouses and Rob Zombie and music. And then, you know, on, uh, in, in terms of the movies they like to make, but, um, it was funny because my agent said, uh, they want to see you for, for this movie. Um, so I, I, I just went down and did an audition. I don't remember. It wasn't really that scene. I don't think it was something else. Um, I think it was a Mama Fly, a Firefly scene. And I was like, oh, I'd love to get this. But then I didn't really know Rob Zombie except for his music. So at the time, they had still had blockbusters. And she said, well, why don't you rent a thousand house of a thousand corpses, which I did. And then the next day I said, no, I'm out. No, no. (laughs) And she said, well, I think the scene they they sent me and let me send it to you. You don't die. And I went, oh, okay. (laughs) well, let me look at it. And then, oh, man, I really I tossed and turned. And yet, you know, again, this is Rob Zombie is the new group of directors and who are coming up who saw Carrie who saw Halloween who know Rock and Roll High School and so they want to choose from these actors that they grew up loving and admiring and so that was appealing to me and I I kind of like that and also uh, my agent told me I'd be working with Sid Hay which I wasn't completely versed in his you know Amazing career, which now I watch movies. He's with Anne Margaret in a movie. I'm like, what? He doesn't even look like Sid Haig when he was young. But <laughs> and so, and the fact that I didn't get killed, I don't get killed. <laughs> so I was excited to do it. Uh, it turned out to be a really, really fun day. Um, at the time, this band uh, called Local H had put out an album, Whatever Happened to PJ Souls. It was a song that they had written. I brought it since Rob's a movie guy, a music guy. I thought, well, let me just give him the CD. Little did I know he would play it on the loudspeaker all day while we were filming and in between breaks. (laughs) (laughs) He just kept playing that same, punching that same song in. So he's a character. He was funny. (laughs) And then at lunch I'm sitting there eating my salad thinking, oh, this is a nice know, I get a moment of relaxation and he comes with, posters and pictures and he just plops everything down we're talking maybe 30 pieces (laughs) on the table says oh yeah when you have a minute can you sign these (laughs) so I said is that why you hired me you wanted me to sign all your stuff because he collects he collects stuff like he and Johnny Ramon are best friends and they would go to all these shows and they would buy stuff so little did I know but it was uh it was really funny, delightful. I love Sherry. Um, and I got invited to his 40th birthday party after that. And I'm like, God, what do you bring the guy that's got everything? And it was uh, pouring rain that night. I was at a club. And I thought, you know what? My kids have all my, I have a son and a daughter. Uh, I, I have all these scripts. Um, and I had the script for Halloween. And he told me how much he loved me in Halloween. So I signed it to him and I wrapped it up. And it's this little little package it's pouring rain. I'm running, get inside. And there's this giant table full of gifts. And then Nick Cage walks in with a shrunken head in in a glass thing. And I'm like, oh my God, he's going to love that. He's not uh, my script. What? So, and then we leave, my boyfriend and I leave and it's pouring rain. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. They might bring all, and I just wrapped it like a script, you know, with some paper on it. And I, and my whole thought was, oh my God, they're going to go bring all these presents out of the parking lot. It's going to fall on the ground. Somebody's going to run over it. It's my original script from Halloween. he will never see it. 7.00 AM. My phone rings back then. We had home phones. We had answering machines, 7.00 AM. Like I'm not answering that. And luckily I didn't because he left me a message that I played over and over. And he was just like a little boy. Oh my God, it's my favorite gift I've ever gotten. I love it. Are you kidding me? The original script's got all your notes in it. Oh my God, I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, and I think that started the idea for him wanting to do the, you know, reimagining of Halloween. So I put this in. Oh. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, one day I hope to meet the gentleman. I shall ask him that very quick, that very exactly. question.
1: He was going to wrap it in plastic and put it in his vault and nobody was ever going to touch it but him. <laughs> that's how much. <laughs> so I think it's so funny.
0: <laughs> so speaking of Halloween, um, you actually have a voice cameo in the latest version uh, of it. What was it like to come back?
1: Um, Well, it's funny because I think they pretty much finished everything. They were sort of in post and then they they had this opportunity because I knew one of the producers and, you know, all my fans were saying, you're not in it. How dare they? Why can't they give you a cameo? What? Why not? You know, you don't have to be Linda. And so they put the seed in David Gordon Green's head and I and he was in North Carolina. We did it over Skype. I went to a recording studio in L.A and uh it, it was a recreated scene of when you know from our movie where Laurie's looking out the window in the classroom and it's this beautiful monologue about fate and and uh and and they emailed me and I said you know what it doesn't make any sense that I do this unless I am able to put totally in the dialogue so I'll fit it in somewhere and David Gordon Green said yes yes that's great so you know that's what happened and that's how it happened. And it really, uh, I wasn't playing Linda. I was playing the teacher, but to be included in that was very special. My fans love it. I love it. And, uh, you know, it just made me feel a part of the ongoing, um, no, I probably can say I have a, I have something in the new one, but I can't say what it is, but it I'll be recognizable.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> Oh, good. Well, that's something that's that's brilliant. That's something to look forward to. Um, we are moving towards it the an end, act,
1: of it. <laughs> but it's something.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> we will keep an eye out for that.
1: A to be asked. So,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we are moving towards the end of the hour, and as I said, I'd like to. Um, and we you were talking about conventions. Uh, I understand you're coming to the UK in October. Is that yeah. right?
1: Yes. Well, pending and hopefully, I mean, I've had both my vaccinations. I think that, you know, I did go to my first ever convention last weekend in Nashville, the full moon and tattoo. So first airplane ride uh, and then the first convention of which they did it very well. They gave you uh, a wristband for three hours. So one, you know, 10 to one, one to three, four to seven, seven to 10. And, and that sort of slimmed down the crowds, which usually can get quite, you know, thick mm-hmm. in the hallways. And, and so I thought that was a very nice way of doing it. And we wore masks and of course we took the masks off to take a picture, no hugging, no handshaking, which I think should be banned forever. <laughs> well,
0: namaste like, isn't-
1: I didn't have to wash my hands 50 times. It was awesome. <laughs> But uh, yes, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I've never done a convention in uh, the UK, in London, Uh, looking very much forward to it. I did do a long time ago. I think it was maybe 2009. I did a convention in Germany and a lot of fans from the UK came and asked me, uh, when are you coming to London? And, you know, so my manager, Sean Clark, is uh, very excited. And he's putting together a bunch of Halloween, uh, original Halloween. And uh, I think there's new Halloween. I think even Daniel Harris, you know, so various Halloweenies right. will be there. Right. So hopefully, you know, I'm thinking about how long it is to fly, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, but we go over. Yeah, I think it's nine, or so but right. it's worth. It. It'll be worth it, and I, I would very much be looking forward to meeting all the the people uh, there, and maybe you in person. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully um so by that time like, i can give you a hug
0: <laughs> <laughs> a very safe hug um so we think this is the october the 16th to the 17th for the it love is. of horror yes convention yes. i'll i shall look out a um i'll look out for says, a little uh,
1: trafford park do you know yes,
0: yeah, oh. yeah. It, that's Manchester. Yeah, um, I will. I will put a link in the uh, in, in the when we do this. Now, before I let you go, um, it's tradition that I do ask you some questions about things that you might want to take into the afterlife, um, if you're doing <laughs> the luggage of the crypt. So, if I had to be really mean and just say, okay, favorite film, what film would you take with you?
1: Wow. Man, I have so many. Mm. Uh, turns out it's not ben Her that was my first film, no. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, I would say, I mean, I don't want to be egotistical, but if I'm going to laugh and have fun and remember my life, Rock and Roll High School. That's a good choice. It was so much fun. I have to tell you, every day was joy. So,
0: okay, that's that's that sounds to me like a very, very good choice. What about a book?
1: Um, gosh, I love A 100 Years of Solitude. That was really one of my all time favorite books, the intensity and the depth of it. But I think most recently, or in the past couple of years, I read The Invention of Wings, Sue Monk Kid, about the uh, Actually, you know, I, uh, my favorite thing is um, historical uh, fiction and it's historical fiction. And it's about the first two female abolitionists. The lead character was presented, you know, by her father for a birthday gift on her 12th birthday with her own slave, a little 10 year old girl. And she refused to accept the gift and she was sent to her room and no party was had. And from there starts the chain of events of her you know, starting the beginning of changing history and oh it's just the most beautiful, beautiful story. And I love prose and I love historical fiction. So I love facts and then you make up the dialogue and right. what might happen that that right. day. Right. And that's a oh. that's a, a definite
0: The Invention of Wings. Oh, I shall check that one out. Okay. <laughs> what about um, an album? Some music.
1: Ooh, Al Green.
0: <laughs> okay. Al Green.
1: I love Al Green. Okay. Any yeah, his albums? Okay. We'll,
0: we'll we'll just we'll do a special edition where you got them all, you know, a really long <laughs> playlist basically. Um What what about a favorite food or drink?
1: well, my favorite food uh probably because of uh Venezuela our mangoes and um, we had mango trees in our schoolyard and on the way to different classes I would always you had to run to the water fountain and clean off all the drip but oh man I was obsessed with mangoes and would sneak sucking on the pit when the teacher wasn't looking but so mangoes number one love sushi but probably that wouldn't work too good in the in the in the, uh, the <coughs> casket yeah, yeah. I oh, will give you. <laughs> you we'll know, give I you. want to be cremated, so I'm throwing you off with your. All right. <laughs> Whatever.
0: <Yeah. laughs> Remind me, I used to suddenly sit and I used to sit with tubs of mango sorbet, and yes? just in an evening oh, and just go through okay. a complete, hence a large waistline.
1: No sucking on the pit for you though. With <laughs> no, <sorbet>. no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part. Come on, but then you had all these strings hanging out. But when you're a kid, you don't care. And I love pomegranates, you know, oh, okay. my, I would cut the pomegranate, we'd sit over the sink, and we'd be sucking on them and spitting out the pits in the sink. That was one of our favorite things.
0: Okay. It's amazing how these things bring back childhood, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what about a piece and I'm of-
1: pretty proud of both my kids, you know, um, they grew up in one house, in one town, but now my son is a commander in the Coast Guard, super proud of him. He's got his first command on a, on a coast guard cutter in June. Mm -hmm. And then my daughter, and he's got a son and a daughter. And then my uh, daughter has uh, just given birth to her second child, the little boy, River, River Jack, (laughs) born in February. Very careful during this whole COVID. And she's got an almost four year old daughter. She lives nearby me. So I get to see them more often. And uh, uh, her four year old, Little Jade, her favorite thing is to call Nana and do FaceTime. It turns into, she says, half the hour turns into two hours while I watch her go through costume changes. And I think she's got the acting bug.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's a last couple of questions for Luggage in the Crypt. Uh, What about a piece of visual art, a painting, a statue? Hmm.
1: Well, I would definitely bring a picture of my kids and grandkids, number one. Right. And, uh, wow, I'd have to say Starry Starry Night, Vincent van Gogh, because the beautiful painting.
0: I, I, I think I may have mentioned on the show before, and I was just about to put my hand out for a mug. I have a mug with Starry Starry Night, uh, where it's uh, been imposed with uh, Hockersawa's Wave on it as oh. well so you've got both those great pieces of art on this oh. it's just like it's just so weird but it's, it's just like
1: I mean, how just, emotional is that painting it's just swirling with emotion i just love it
0: well and also of course Don McLean's starry starry night as well which i lived listened to a lot when i was a teenager uh, yes you know it's yeah yeah it's, a, it's an incredibly powerful piece so Having spoken about those foods? Is there a luxury? Is there something you just that makes life more comfortable—a pair of slip or slippers or whatever—just something that you would just to make life or death a little bit more comfortable for you? Um, well, I uh,
1: probably not a pair of slippers. All I do, I'm wearing my Uggs, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh I think you know being at home and that's why during this covid time it wasn't all that bad except for not being able to fly to virginia and see my son and his family but I did get right. to see my daughter but um gosh um I do have a little boo dog <laughs> one of those little dogs um I you know photographs being in my home uh, what's comforting to me is silence. I like quiet. I like to hear the birds chirp, nature. So I like uh, I like um, quiet.
0: Right. Well, I think we can. You know, I, I know it's, it's luggage in the crypt. So I'm imagining this is going to be a big room, and so, so you, you can metaphorically I'll be very
1: comfortable then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> silence. I like the choice. Silence of Silence and bird song is a, is a really nice <laughs> nice
1: choice. I like that a
0: lot. P.J, thank you so much for taking the time to share all these wonderful stories with me today.
1: I had a pleasure speaking with you, and I love all British actors. They are the best. It's in their DNA. I know every boy has to be an Oliver by the time he's six. <laughs> and that's why every actor we're just amazed we uh, love and actresses too it's amazing like i said they do a movies at the same time they're doing a play on the weekend so i admire admire the the english language which came obviously through you know the uk and uh we just can't make it sound as good as you guys and uh I can't wait to to meet you, and thank you so much. I had a pleasure.
0: My thanks again to P.J. Souls. What a lovely lady and what a fascinating career covering both horror and comedy. Next week on the Chattering Hour, I'm joined by our producer, Chris Rowe, and we discuss some of our highlights from season two. See you then and in the meantime, stay safe and wow. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe with production support from Jared Friedrich and Amanda Rome West. Composer Kevin McLeod, copyright Teatime Productions.